Hey, welcome back to the Off Duty On Duty Podcast, episode number 47. I'm your host, Brian Eastridge, and welcome to the podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com podcast network. On the Off Duty On Duty Podcast, we take topics relevant to today's gun owners and we tackle them from the perspective of everyday concealed carriers and the perspective of on-duty law enforcement officers to give you both angles of discussion. (coughs) Excuse me. Today, I'm going to be joined by Lee Weems of uh, First Person Safety, also uh, recently launched podcaster, uh, that Weems guy. You can check him out on iTunes. That's where I found it. And we're going to talk about how, uh, like, some cop concealed carrier back and forth kind of things um, pertaining to, like, training and draw and shooting and accuracy and all that good stuff. Because, you know, cops can't shoot, right? So we're going to kind of delve into that mystique or that, uh, that mystery a bit. All right, a word from our sponsors, Excess Sites. Check out your excess sites at excesssites.com. CCW Safe Legal Service Membership for Concealed Carriers and Law Enforcement Officers. The most comprehensive coverage by the most experienced team. Check them out. And if you want 10% off your membership, enter code OFFDUTY10 at checkout. As always, EDC Belt Company, manufacturers of the Foundation Belt. The most comfortable, functional, concealed carry belt on the market. And a reminder, uh, Guardian Conference is almost upon us. Guardian Nation Conference coming up. Links in the show notes. Still got some early bird pricing. And, uh, man, I talked to Riley the other day. Seats are going fast. Get them while you can. And uh, also a reminder, sign up for the Concealed Carry Podcast giveaway uh, last week's winner, Daryl, won uh, the LBBS book. Next week, they are giving away probably one of my favorite pieces of kit, the Ready Up Gear MCF Spark Flashlight. If you haven't checked those out, they are an awesome piece of kit. And, uh, you know, after the time I've put in uh, and the number of flashlights I've been through over the years, I got to say it's a handy piece of kit. Uh I, I got one from Jacob. Thanks, Jacob. Uh, back in April, and I have carried it at work in the patrol capacity for the better part of uh, June, July, ah, like five months, and uh, really been happy with it. So, all right, let's bring in the guest. Welcome back, Lee Weems um, from First Person Safety, and now the that Weems guy on iTunes. You're you're a overnight podcast sensation it's <laughs> only because people like you are coming on my show you know you professionals to mm. show me the way because i'm just a guy in my kitchen that's that that flipped a switch <laughs> well you know funny little backstory yesterday i said i i made the statement um you know you, you can't consider yourself a professional until you get paid to do something right and i actually got um a sponsor payment the other day so that was kind of cool wow. i was like hey wow. um yeah so i guess yeah i am officially a professional now that's right. uh, that was encouraging uh well, you know no, nobody from the internet showed up and knocked on my door and said you know we have seen your postings and things and we have determined that you sir are a voice of reason that should be broadcast on the internet no folks i flipped a switch myself and started doing that so please keep that in mind when you start listening to whoever you're listening to on the internet <laughs> well you know it's a it's a beautiful thing i i've spent some time working uh kind of in the amateur music business and then amateur radio and stuff like that all by happenstance right and uh in the pre-internet era i'm talking even like the 2004 2005 uh, this wasn't really a thing. Like you couldn't just go out there and say, here, I'm going to talk and I'm going to uh, have a platform that millions potentially of people could listen to. So, uh, <laughs> it is kind of unique, uh, a unique era we live in, but you kind of started this, started off the same way I did. I did a couple of Facebook lives cause I got, uh, 2019, I was, you know, I was juggling a bunch of stuff and teaching classes and I would have people with like a bevy of questions afterwards. And I'd, I'd just turn on Facebook live and people would go, 
oh, and tune in. And the next thing you know, it's like, okay, hey, a thousand people watched that. That was weird. Um, you know, I don't even know my mom liked gun stuff that much, and she tuned in regularly. So, no. <laughs> but, uh, you know, and then the next thing you know, people are like, hey, you got a radio voice. I got a, a, a face made for radio, you know, whatever. But Yeah, I put a couple of uh, conversations up on YouTube. And I started getting emails about my podcast and when would the audio be available? It's like, I didn't know I had a podcast, but okay. And so I uploaded them and people are listening. So in very small numbers, very small numbers, but Hey, Hey, that, that, uh, the first, the first report I got, it showed that I had 50 downloads in, in like a month. And I went, Uh, wow, 50 people (laughs) downloaded that onto their phone. Wow. You know, and then, couple months later it's like oh 150 yeah that's pretty cool and then you know so that's kind of how it starts i mean the first open enrollment class i put on had like a walloping six people in it and i was like well okay guess we're doing this now but uh uh (laughs) so uh, along the lines for those that don't know if you download the podcast that lee and i did on uh that weems guy uh, you can pull it up on YouTube, iTunes, Anchor, a couple other plat- platforms. Um, some people got really incensed. And what I noticed the commonality of them were is most of them hadn't listened to it. And uh, so it kind of inspired. I thought, you know what? We got a little momentum here. So um, and and one of the things that the recurring things that kept coming up was cops can't shoot. And it, I've heard it. You've heard it, I'm sure. And, and it seems to be a... Um, pretty resounding theme right so well yeah i imagine that many of your listeners um and let me digress for just a second mm-hmm. uh, the youtube stats are telling me that the people that have there's like 180 something have watched the youtube show right now nice. the average duration of them watching is a little over 10 minutes and we were on for 45 so they're listening to the very first part of the show and not sticking around for the whole thing so the point that they haven't listened to the show is is very poignant um but i'm sure that most of the people listening to this are familiar with uh tom Givens's casino drill mm-hmm. well the top seven scores on that all but one of those are a cop and that guy's really? yeah and the, that one guy has shot multiple 125s at rogers oh wow yeah yeah so it's in good company. He's not even the he, he is tied for the top spot on the casino drill. Uh, number one, the other person tied is my sheriff. Oh wow! <laughs> hey, is he hiring? No, I'm kidding. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, number two is one of my private training company's alumni who is a cop in Iowa. Uh, number three is the sheriff again. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and then four, five, and six are also our deputies. So it, it's, uh, uh, you know, it's a pretty well-known, pretty prestigious drill. And I, if cops couldn't shoot, we wouldn't have all those top spots. Yeah. And I, for some reason, I, I like to think that that's kind of a misnomer, right? Mm-hmm. Now, do I, do I completely agree that training standards are, they're not perfect? Uh, uh-huh. Daryl, Daryl Balky and I, on one of the podcasts, he said, you know, most academy training is adequate and i mean adequate in that they're going to be relatively safe gun handlers they're going to get an immersion of training more so than joe consumer can go get in a like oklahoma state it's a two-week block and that's two 40 hour for actually uh 45 hour if you count you know the lunch period in there where a lot of things get uh, hashed out over a meal, you know, but uh, a lot, it's just, it's an immersion. It's like you're inundated with it day in, day out, day in, day out. Um, And no, the accuracy standards, I don't think are adequate for maybe the tasks that they may have to perform. But in general, they're a lot more regimented than maybe your average concealed carry course um yeah and if you look at at just the history of officer involved shootings 
for the odds of getting into one and, and prevailing seem to lean into the favor of the policeman. Um, are they pretty? No. Are they, you know, is there room for improvement? Absolutely. But I, I think, you know, the populace seems to have this complete perception that cops just absolutely cannot shoot. Yeah. You know, the, the, the people in the gun world that perpetuate that, um, they look at themselves as the typical gun owner. And that's just not the case. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we know from Carl Wren's work that typically about 1% of gun owners actually get training. And so, you know, he, he wrote a work called Beyond the 1% about how to try to get people to come back beyond that 1%. They get training. And most of those that get that, that small amount of training are driven by a state mandate. Uh, to train for a, you know, to get a state level concealed carry license um, or permit, whichever your state terminology is. Right. Um, And that number may drop with more and more states going to permitless or licenseless carry. If I were to find a room of just 100 typical American gun owners and 100 typical American cops, and I was told that I had to pick a team and go, I'm going to pick 10 cops out of the room. Yeah, I'd, uh, I'd agree with that. Now, if I get to start doing interviews, if I get to, uh, you know, and of those cops, I'm going to look and see whose who's, uh, equipment set up correctly and everything. And, that, and that's where I'm, I'm going to go. Uh, if it's, you know, where I get to pick from all of these shooters that I know, Right. Um, yeah, there will be some cops on that list of 10, but there'll be some non-cops on that list of 10. Yeah. hundred percent with you there. Um, you know, my, my, my partner in the, the belt company, he went to TACCON. You met him uh, mm-hmm. right before we left. We finally got a few minutes there to kind of catch up. Uh, and, um, you know, he was a little disappointed that he didn't end up in the shoot off. He was like one position out of the shoot off at TACCON. And I, I said, well, let's let's distill this a little bit. And I said, 1% of the concealed carry populace actually trains regularly. Mm-hmm. Of that, you have less than 1% of that here. And it is a really proficient 1% that's here. So 1% of 1% and you were number 16 and not 15 or 17 and not 16 in a shoot off. So when you really boil all of that down to skill sets, I was like, you're not the average American gun owner anymore. You're kind of in this um, super in the retail world. They call him the super consumer, the guy that buys two to three guns a year, shoots five to six hundred rounds of ammo a year, accessorizes to some degree with holsters. And um, and the bulk consumer is buys one gun every five to seven years, maybe has a holster shoots 50 to a hundred rounds a year. I mean, that's, that's just the reality of where, you know, the, the and, and an equivalent in. of that would be a guy that goes out and buys a Jeep and then spends twice what he spent on the Jeep to put every available custom accessory on there that he could. Right. Uh, same thing with, with people with motorcycles that build them and everything. It, it, it's the same thing. It's just, some people choose guns. Right, right. Abs- and more power to them. Uh, you know, I made a comment on a post. It's like, you can't do this in France. So right. um, that's that's awesome, and it, it supports the community. I get um, – it is a bit frustrating to me when I when I hear that, that same mantra of cops can't shoot. And I've, I've had recruits and, and peers of mine that were what I would call – below average uh you know at skill sets with uh, their firearm that have prevailed in multiple shootings uh it, just with the rudimentary amount of training they got um or continuing education they've had they've been able to be you know successful to the degree of saving their own life saving someone else's life so i don't really 
I don't really buy the cops can't shoot thing. I do buy into the training needs to it needs to come up a notch, but that's not my well, wheelhouse. I don't. <laughs> that's above my pay grade. So your business partner that was number seventeen. Mm-hmm. And complaining about not making into the shoot off. Well, some of those sixteen people that were in the shoot off were cops. Yes. All right. I, I did not shoot the match this year due to other circumstances. I've been in the shoot off in previous years. Yeah. And beaten and beaten some names that mm-hmm. uh, your listeners would would, would recognize. Uh, the the year before that, I finished fourteenth and I had a malfunction. Yeah. All right. Uh, Hanny Mahmood, who was like your number one guy on the show here <laughs> Hanny, Hanny was in the finals in 2019 mm-hmm. in new orleans and i think pretty deep like uh like down in the final four four or five there and uh, yeah and uh wayne dobbs you know uh-huh. so uh, just offhand like there was me david cagle wayne dobbs uh-huh. Hanny mcmood there's at least four that i can think of chris sereno he's a retired cop uh, you know, from top shot, he was in the shoot off. Um, yeah, there was, there was quite a few and, uh, Lane Thayer. Yeah. Lane, by the way, is number two on the casino. Oh, wow. The, and he shot it backwards. So he's, he says he's not second. He's first backwards. Um, <laughs> uh, the individual who won the range master shoot off this year is the same guy that's number one on the casino and has shot multiple, uh, 125s at Rogers. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think of who all else was, was in the top 16 this year, uh, that are cops. And I could go back over the, the we, we started doing the shoot off, I think in 2016, 2017. Yeah. And I guarantee you, um, at least a quarter of the field each time has been cops at least. Yeah. And, and that field of shooters this last year was epic. I mean, it mm-hmm. was absolutely epic. Um, I shot almost the identical scores I shot in 2019 and I was like number 53. So I went, Oh, Hey, yeah. From, from year to year, um, the top people on that tend to flip, uh, Gabe white, who was another 125 at Rogers shooters. And the, the first guy to do it from concealment, uh, Kurt, the other guy we've already mentioned is the second guy to do it from concealment, and he's done it multiples. Uh, Gabe White won the shoot off the first year we did the shoot off. He didn't even make the finals the next year. Right. Yeah. Uh, there there were several surprises, and uh, and that's where Brian Hill and I forged a bond mm-hmm. that shall be known as the "Did you check your battery bond?" Um, which funny story I've told on the podcast, so I won't rehash it, but. Uh, uh, but all of that to say, what do you think perpetuates this notion that, quote, cops can't shoot? Well, for one thing, the instances in which cops are involved in shootings are highly publicized and dissected. And they're on video where people can go watch and see them. Now, with the advent of surveillance cameras, we're starting to see more and more and more incidents being caught on video. Uh, but I, the private citizen shootings, they're not dissected nearly to the level that the cops are. Nobody does a YouTube presentation um, like, you know, say Phoenix or L.A. when they have an officer involved shooting and they put out a detailed um, analysis of what happened in the sake of public you know, transparency. Nobody does that for the guy running the convenience store that pulls a gun on a on, on robber. Unless it's something that makes national headlines, like you know, the, the um, there in Oklahoma, the pharmacist that mm-hmm. that did what he did, that committed murder. Um, but those just aren't dissected. I, I can tell you exactly uh, how many rounds have been fired in in deputy involved shootings in my time with the sheriff's office, our hits, etc. Um, I'd have to go. I think I could do that for the number of private citizen shootings involved but I don't know the facts in and out like I do for our deputies. Right. Yeah. And I've, I've seen a trend in law enforcement here lately where uh, some of our, you know, modern, I hate to say modern command staff, but moder- uh, like more, and 
I hate to use the word progressive, but <laughs> the more, the more uh, new school, new guard uh, administrations are starting to get ahead of that uh, right. that wave of ambiguity that happens with officer-involved shootings and release video, do you know a pretty rudimentary debriefing, not so much uh-huh. a uh, you know an in-depth play-by-play. Although I have seen some agencies that have started doing that, and consequently, I think that I think that's a good thing. I didn't right. used to think that was a good thing. Now I think it's kind of a it's a positive thing that that the community the community gets to see how really ugly cop work is, right. and and how absolutely shocking to the conscience it can be, and and violent, and uh, right. and they don't see it six eight months later when there's a chopped up newsreel of it so or or yeah three four weeks later they you know uh i've been around some local agencies here that have uh called a press conference and had a you know a slow motion debriefing of this is what happened at this time this is uh-huh. they don't go into the whys and the what's and everything else it's just a a, a very um I don't even know how to phrase it. Like, it's- well, if, if agencies don't respond, mm-hmm. if they don't go right up to the cameras and you know the news cameras, or somehow go, you know, now we can go live on social media and start telling the public what happened right up front, then you leave the narrative to whatever anybody else wants the narrative yeah. to be, and you know we we've, we've we had three deputy involved shootings in my time as chief deputy. And two of them were on body camera. Uh, the third one, there's only audio, um, which was actually, excuse me, that would have been the first one. The last two were on on body camera. Yeah. And we released the video just as soon as the deputies involved made their statements to the to the investigators. Because in my boss's words, the video is not going to change. Right. It, yeah, it's not going to change. It is what it is. Yeah. So, you know, we should put it out there so that the public can see it rather than people, the rumor, well, I heard. Mm-hmm. And that kind of thing, you know, we need to be putting this information out there um, immediately. Well, you know, in our most recent shooting, the deputy fired five shots and hit the other person six times. So if cops can't shoot, um Right. One one round hit went through the torso and got the arm on on, on the other side. Right. And yeah. so he had a hundred percent. The deputy prior to that uh, fired four rounds. Rounds two and three went over the guys he was following. The fourth round was he was trying to pull off. And then the shot before the incident before that, deputy fired one round at sixty yards with an AR and hit. Yeah. Cops can't shoot. Well, mine can. Yeah, well, and that's something that, uh, and and I hate to bag on like the the upper northeast, uh, you know, and I have several friends that that are NYPD officers, and they go, they have been handicapped on their marksmanship front for for years, uh, but if we go back in history, Pat Rogers was a pretty. Uh, pretty uh legit guy jim cirillo i can't remember his partner's name but uh Uh, bill allard yes uh bill allard there were a lot of really good cop shooters and uh if you go back and look at the nra distinguished roles Mm -hmm. in ppc there were a lot of nypd dudes back there in the 60s and 70s those guys were dialed in and politics handcuffed them, uh, you know, with 14 pound triggers and, you know, not being able to use hollow point ammunition. And, uh, it's, it's really pretty sad, but I think some of that perpetuates from that. And of all the officer involved shootings that I've, I've, and I'm talking nationwide, the ones that, that get publicized, the, the ones that are, non-questionable the ones that are like oh yeah that person had to be shot had to be stopped those rarely make the media they rarely do 
it's the ones that they go, mm, this could be open to some interpretation. There's things the body camera didn't see. There's, you know, there's some backstory on, on how the officer got from, got into that situation. And the ones that are controversial seem to come to the forefront. And consequently, a lot of the controversial ones tend to be people that are, I tend to be the officer that's maybe not trained to the degree or hasn't sought out training, um, which kind of goes back to the old uh, Scotty Reitz. You know, the more confident you are with your with your equipment, the further you can let things digress before you have to go to, you know, go to the guns. So uh, that's just kind of my two cents on it. So I think, well, Go ahead. One of those one of those three guys that I just mentioned that was involved in the shooting is a twelve oh seven casino drill time, which is either three or four. Wow. Um, the other guy that was five for five or six for five, whichever way you want to look at that, um, he is low thirteens in his range master instructor class on the casino from a triple retention holster. Um, it's pretty impressive. Yeah, uh, now, granted, I will concede that my agency is not the norm. Um, for twelve years, I sat in you know at the catbird seat and I drove the ship. Yeah, and um, we've had pretty poor selection by bad guys of picking deputies to get involved in shootouts. Uh, the other deputy that fired the 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 round from six yards with an hour was also one of our instructors. So all three of ours have been that have been involved in, in my time were also instructors, but they had trained to that level. Um, you know, but our guys do pretty good at the contests and stuff that we go to. Of course, you don't see my bad ones because they don't get to go. Right. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, speaking of that, you know, bad guys that pick. I have three very, very good friends that, uh, but they came on about two to three years um they were kind of breaking the rookie cycle you know what i mean Uh around that three to five year window right when i i showed up and uh they had all three been through the instructor school together and within a week of getting out of instructor school a guy picked a gunfight with them and Uh lost really bad uh guy was shooting at them with a rifle was prone at like 70 some yards and these guys scored a, a pretty overwhelming amount of hits on a guy that was prone at night, limited visibility, tall grass, shooting at them with a rifle. And I went, uh, okay, they're instructors, so they are a notch above. They are right. absolutely a notch above average academy-trained guy. Uh, but they were primed, right? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I'm like, the, of all the people these guys literally just finished firing several thousand rounds through each of the platforms and you decided to pick on them that sorry recency is a thing it is it absolutely Um, is Uh, there is a very high-end military unit um i won't say their name mm because i don't have permission to to quote them on the study and i'm taking i have this information secondhand but it's from someone that i believe would be reliable um that their study was to maintain their proficiency level. They had to do 50 rounds per week. Okay. They could pretty well maintain at a hundred rounds every two weeks. Like if they were only able to shoot in a two week cycle, if they right. were, but you know, anything, any more breaks beyond that, they started to see skill degradation degradation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the, the, deputy or officer that when they put on their duty belt each day works a few draws gets a few sight pictures you know turns on his brain if that deputy or officer is confronted with a situation later on their you know their their motors programs are already primed you know your guys are coming home from an instructor school or what have they been doing for two weeks you know they've been been working the problem right and they just went right into action their brain didn't have to call up the program from deep down in their memory breaks it was sitting on top of the memory banks you contrast that to um you know 
a cop that there's dust bunnies on his front side in his holster. You and I come from the age when the Safari Land 070 and was suede lined, uh, was still in service. Yeah. And you had to clean your gun regularly because the suede would come, the little tendrils of it would stick to your gun. If that's the person that draws their weapon and fight, they're just not going to do as well. Yeah. And I'll do you one better. I was carrying a West German SIG at that time. So uh-huh. if the humidity was above 60%, I cleaned my gun every day or it turned orange. So. Yeah. I mean, and that's our frequent occurrence in Oklahoma for your humidity to get over sixty percent. Yeah, it is indeed. But uh, but yeah, we um, the, the cops can't shoot myth. It seems to get perpetuated. We've beat that one up pretty good. Um, well, the public sure seems to be mad about cops being you know shooting a lot of people, and they wouldn't be able to do that. Yeah, cops were successfully uh, doing it successfully and, in the skills involved. Yeah, and a lot of, uh, you know, the the body camera thing, I was never anti-body camera. Mm-hmm. I never have been. I, I'm right. like, <laughs> and uh, I, I've just never liked operating in secret, you know. I, I've right. never thought that was a thing with, with uh, you know, in the, the constitutional United States. Right. But the bad part of it is, is now everybody gets an opinion. Right. Everybody gets an opinion. And the one thing I would tell anybody is if if you've never served in law enforcement or you've never, you've never been through that, uh, that training pipeline and things like that is it's an ugly profession and people only get a look at it when it's ugly. Mm -hmm. And there, you know, I mean, I, I can, I look back at night's, 10, 15 years ago, working graveyard overnights where it wasn't uncommon to get into two or three scuffles in a week that were not pretty. Um, and if not you, your partner was, and, uh-huh. and, uh, I, I've seen, and I know you have as well. I mean, some, some of the narcotics and intoxicating substances that are out there, it doesn't matter how many times these people get hit with a stick, they don't stop. And, who else are you going to call? You know, right. <laughs> there's, there's not a, well, you know, the cops, this ain't working out. Uh, let's call the ghostbusters or something. It, it right. doesn't work like that. And when people start getting a, a glimpse of that and realizing just how violent a profession it can be, it's really shocking to the conscience. And, uh, especially now in the advent, the era of body cameras, I mean, I've, I've had conversations with, you know, my mother that she's like, oh my gosh, that just is horrible. And I'm like, that was my life for 10 years. That right. literal 10 year block of my life, this was a regular occurrence. Um, and not by my choosing. I would have rather sat in a parking lot and, you know, <laughs> talked guns with my buddies, but, right. but these people warranted our attention. And, and it's just, it's a full contact sport and it's, it's violent and ugly. And when you give people the window into that, it, it immediately shocks the conscience a lot of times. Um, yeah, and nobody calls nine one one until the situation has deteriorated out of control. Yeah. I'm still waiting for that. Hey, everything's fine over here. You want a cup of coffee? Haven't had that nine one one call yet. Right. Um, and you know, Early in, in this episode, we were talking about, you know, look, I just flipped a switch and apparently I have a show. All right. The same thing applies to people that are online expressing their opinion or that are, you know, on the block expressing their opinion. That opinion may not be educated and it may not be grounded or, you know, based in fact, but they still have a, an opinion. And now they have the means to broadcast that opinion instantly around the world Mm -hmm. beyond just, you know, 20 years ago, it was just the people you could talk to in person or send an email to. Yeah. And just anybody can all of a sudden, you know, just hold up a phone and start talking and broadcast for the world to see and, or put it on Twitter. Yeah. Or how many arrests have we now seen or traffic stops where somebody's broadcasting Facebook live? Right. While they're in contact with the, that was not a thing when I hired into law enforcement. And I always, after I kind of broke through the rookie years, I started to kind of operate like, 
um, with this, and this is a piece of cop advice that I'll throw out there is imagine you having to explain what you said and did to your mom. Mm -hmm. (laughs) If you operate within those boundaries, usually you're going to be okay. Um, you know, that, that to me, or, or, you know, my grandmother or, because, you know, I grew up with a, a dad and aunt and an uncle that were all cops. If, if something went sideways and you lost your temper and it got ugly and there were bad words exchanged, they went, yeah, <laughs> happens. You know, they're not, they're not going to give you that. Well, you know, maybe you should pump the brakes a little, um, until you're way out of bounds. But, uh, think about sitting down at Christmas dinner with your mom and explaining how you handled a traffic stop or how you handled of, you know, somebody that was agitated and, uh, it will really change your perspective. And that's, I think this learning curve we're in with the body camera era is everybody gets the window to that now. And, and right. sometimes it's just ugly. So, well, you know, a few years ago, there was the big push, you know, we actually had a bill here in Georgia that was going to require every uh, officer citizen encounter to be recorded on body camera. And the bill didn't pass. Um, but, you know, that was been this whole push of we, we've got to have body cameras on these officers so we can catch them and all this wrong doing. Well, you know, my agency is one that adopted body cameras. Mm-hmm. And the cost is not the cameras, people. The cost is the data storage. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, once the body cameras were in out in large numbers and – we found that it was actually disproving false allegations against officers and was showing people in the true way they behaved, mm-hmm. not the story they told their mother right. and their friends. And it was showing, you know, the whole picture, what it was. Uh, all of a sudden you started seeing pushback from organizations. Oh, now these body cameras are a privacy issue. Yeah. We've got to we've got to you know come to terms and we've got to to develop rules for when the when these officers can turn on these body cameras. Yeah, the common denominator there is the cop, but that denominator ain't the problem. Right, and the uh, <laughs> I saw you were talking about the privacy deal. I I had a conversation with I have some friends because you know being in the music world and some friends that are very left liberal very left-leaning liberal now we and we're friends we don't we just don't talk politics because you know that's like sticking your sticking your finger in the birthday cake and it ain't your birthday you know but um but i i mentioned like i was like hey look what if you're the victim of a violent assault and now i'm going to plaster your face like the public is going to get to plaster your your face all over the you know all over the TV or, or, you know, what if you're having to describe a, you know, I'm interviewing you and you're, you're having to describe a violent sexual assault. Is that something that, that you want broadcast to the public? I mean, it, it more power to you if you're brave enough to do that. But, um, and I, not that I'm, I'm not that I'm confessing to anything here, but let's imagine the 18 year old kid on a traffic stop it's a good kid never been in trouble and his buddy lights a joint in the car and the 18 year old responsible kid maybe your son or daughter or whoever goes hey put that out that ain't cool whatever Uh I, i don't care if it's medical and legal or whatever but put it out and they leave the little roach in your ashtray and friendly officer pulls you over for some minor infraction detects the odor of marijuana and goes oh hey you are in possession of this contraband and now I'm on body camera and I can't go, well, let's, uh, okay. Yeah. Your buddy left that in there, toss it out. You're not intoxicated, get rid of it and let's move on with life. We now no longer have the option to do that, right. you know, and I'm, <laughs> I'm not speaking for every cop in America, but I can assure you that there are probably a lot of high school kids out there that did not receive a ticket or a, a misdemeanor arrest for, possession of uh, marijuana over the last 50 years uh, because some cop with discernment went, okay, this is a good kid and got in a bad situation. Let's, mm-hmm. let's let him go on about life. Um, uh, yeah. I traded a fraternity president 
back to his fraternity one night for every fake ID in the building. Right. <laughs> right? You know, I, I wouldn't do that now. No. Well, you know, if I were in the same level, same position I was then, um, you know, I, he was underage. The reason I came into contact with him was, was, was stupid. It was, it was, it was, there was no reason to be taking an enforcement action here. Uh, there were 20 something guys in the, in the fraternity house that night. I'm like, look guys, here's the deal. If every one of you surrenders your fake ID, um, I'll give you your fraternity president back and he won't go to jail. Right. And I think we, I think they collected like 26 fake IDs. <laughs> And they went to handle them to me and said, oh, no, 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 no. I'm not taking your property because that would be a constitutional violation. Yeah. But if you guys have a fit of repentance and destroy those right here in front of me, well, then I can't stop you from destroying your own property. Yeah. And, and they destroyed the fake IDs. And I'm, well, now I've got no evidence, guys. I'll see you later. I'm out of here. Right. And, and, and nobody lost their college scholarship and caught right. a, you know. I, yeah, but we've kind of entered the era where, um, that discernment's now gone and yeah. it's it, okay. Well, I don't have that authority anymore. You're going to have to, which maybe yeah. I never really did, but now you're going to have to go argue that in a court system and mm -hmm. your parents are going to pay thousands of dollars for that. And uh, so, yeah, I think there, there's, there's some give and take uh, that, uh, a lot of the public doesn't understand with that. And I, I don't write the rules. I just play by them. So right. <laughs> that, and that, that can be a real conundrum at times. Like, man, I really wish I didn't have to take you to jail. I really wish there was an alternative. Um, you know, fortunately I'm, I'm in one of those, uh, I like to call it a pre-retirement gig, you know, mm -hmm. that, uh, I don't end up having to take a lot of criminal enforcement action anymore. I get to be the friendly guy on the bike that, passes out stickers hugs babies directs traffic and uh you know goes to goes to coffee with a cop and you know donuts with dad or whatever so it, and there's a need for that as well you know i mean i, I used to kind of look down on that and now that i'm 19 years into this i go yeah there, there's there's some need to have some really good public interaction so and i'm, I'm blessed to be in that that role now at this stage in life but uh for a lot of years, I didn't, I was never really in the, the patrol setting when body cameras came along, I was in, you know, the, the bicycle patrol beat patrol kind of setting. So it didn't have the same profound impact as it did. And I had 15 plus years on when that, that descended on us. So I, I was kind of already at the point where I don't care if you record me, <laughs> I've done this long enough. I know the routine. So so it didn't yeah, affect it, me the way it did some other people, but follow me around with the camera crew. You want to, there are going to be a lot of bored people. <laughs> Absolutely. This would not make a good episode of cops. Uh, yeah. But, uh, well, any other final like myths you want to dispel really quick? Uh, we, we already inflamed everyone on the sub second draw that we're not just like, <laughs> we're, we're not discouraging you from trying to attempt. It's just, you know, balance it out a bit you know yeah uh, you know just on that neither one of us said anything about not practicing your draw skills right or not trying to be good at at, at that and god bless you for those that can develop that skill set now i do see a lot of parlor trick videos in which guys <laughs> getting getting their gum fighter crouch they have their hands perfectly prepared to catch the hem of their shirt and they fire the shot completely from index because this gun wasn't even in their eye line uh, when they press the trigger and the gun and the gun's still moving out as they fire the shot and then they hold up the timer and it's 0.9 whatever oh yeah all right i've got a documented 0.89 draw yeah on record i didn't see the sights no but i knew that eight inch circle is right there mm -hmm. and i know if i present from here you know right to there i'm going to be in the middle of that eight inch circle and so it was just how fast could I move my hands? Right. Now you start drawing and, you know, 
that sub-second draw and putting it in a three-by-five index card at seven yards or greater uh, in that same sub-second time frame on a repeatable basis, I'll, I'll be pretty daggum impressed. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I, I think my takeaway from that episode was simply if you've gotten to that skill level anywhere even approaching that skill level, you're okay and there's other things you need to be working on Mm -hmm. and the other takeaway was you know if you're below one fives if you're in like one threes whatever you're probably going to be okay too and you don't need to be developing a lot of effort you know and hardcore focus to get below this magic one second line uh, Dave Spalding talks about he used to teach a, a handgun class that uh, had a lot of airsoft in it. Mm-hmm. And I think he called it interactive pistol. And it was a two day class. And on this start of day two, or at some point in time during day two, he would take the fastest person from day one and the slowest person from day one and would have them stand whatever the distance was apart. And on the signal, they went and he called the drill high noon. Well, guess what? Both of them got shot. <laughs> yeah. Because the difference between, you know, one, you know, 0.95 and 1.37, those rounds are crossing in air. Yeah. And it's not like, yeah. And this whole, you know, this one subsecond draw is going to stop the fight. It may be a contributing factor in the stopping a fight, but it's not like you get that one shot off fired and that, once that guy gets hit by that round, that's it. The game's over. Uh, right. We know better. We know better. Pistol rounds are not effective man stoppers. No, and and I've kind of approached a lot of some, some of the data-driven stuff that I've seen is we don't know what the background of the guy, you know, the defensive shooter was. Right. Maybe that timer and knowing that I've got a one second draw is what caused me to introduce the gun at the time I did and ultimately get, get killed. You know, I mean, I, and I know you've had this conversation with yourself, uh, probably because I think all cops have, I'm sitting at the restaurant, I'm off work. What happens when somebody comes in and holds this restaurant up? At what point do I bring the gun in or how long do I play it cool before at, you know, how can I move to my gun without anybody knowing? I mean, when you've been in that world and you've interviewed the people on the receiving end of a robbery enough times, you start to have those conversations with yourself. Right. You know, um, I 17, 18 years ago, I ate at a restaurant on duty. Literally four hours later, it got held up and everybody in the restaurant was robbed for everything that they had on their person. Um, and I'm like, good night. Three dudes with rifles walked into that restaurant. Were they out there casing the place when my police car was out in the parking lot? Was that what stopped them from coming in when I was there? I don't know. But, you know. On duty one night, I drove past a restaurant as an armed robbery was taking place. Ooh, that's that's the every cop's nightmare scenario. I, um, I was I was driving down the, down that particular street. I drove past the restaurant, uh, you know, you know, it's in the city at the next intersection. I took a left turn and about the time I completed the left turns when the 911 call came in. Yeah. And so it was just turn back around and drive back up there. And the guy had already run off into the night. Yeah. Um, but you know, if I had been, you know, a minute later driving down that road, I'd have been in the position of swinging to that parking lot and deal with that. Yeah. And, you know, I've, I've, the people I, I hang out with a lot, we're pretty defensive minded. So, uh-huh. you know, we, we think about things like that. And, uh, you know, even my, my lady and I talk about it and like, you know, if something happens, your, your job is to run and call the police. And, uh-huh. you know, if the timing's right, I'll probably be right next to you running with you. But those type of things are, are things that, I think have a lot more practicality than, uh, okay, I'm going to spend a hundred rounds of training ammunition to get my draw from a one five to a one three, mm, man, how about, you know, mix it up a bit. Look at, look at some other options. Talk to some people that have had to deal with some of these problems and, 
you know, war, we used to use the term in the army war game it, let's war game it out, you know, and, and think about how we would negotiate these situations. And, um, you know, and I, I can cite examples of that in my personal life and right. stuff, but I mean, we all can, but the, the bottom line is I don't think it's a waste, a complete waste of your time to, to, to polish a sub second draw. I don't think it's sustainable right. for very long. Right. You know, I think it's kind of like, uh, it's kind of like the eight minute mile. You got to work on it pretty, pretty yeah. often, but if I can run a nine thirty, I'm doing all right. Right. You know, but, uh. Yeah, that that uh, I mentioned a point eight nine draw earlier. I was I did that when I was regularly shooting IDPA. Okay, I can't duplicate it now. Um, yeah, I've got a documented one fourteen draw out of a Safari Land zero seven zero. Yeah, I got one out here six months ago and put it on my belt just just to to see. Yeah, and oh my god, it was ugly. You know, but because I don't use that gear anymore. And, you know, we've already mentioned recency. You know, you've got to maintain that skill level. And it's just, oh, I got below 100 one time on the timer doesn't mean you have a subsecond draw. Right. And uh, I'll throw pop, props to my, my, my pal Spencer. You know, mm-hmm. every time we go to have lunch, you know, on the, on the rare occasion we're both, you know, not doing something or, um, before he leaves the house, the guy unloads his carry pistol and works a draw stroke, works a draw stroke yeah. three, four times loads up. Let's go. Um, and I've seen him do that. And I would say that's the exception and not the rule. Uh, I do that regularly. And I, right now I'm doing it incessantly because I just started shooting a Glock again. <laughs> so for all of you listeners out there that think I am a complete Beretta nerd, um, and I still am, it still has fondness in my heart and I still, you know, I still shoot it. I still carry it from time to time. Um, but I, I kind of decided I, I got to this gen five thing. I got to learn this. And uh-huh. so I've, I've spent a lot of time now with the, the G 45 gen five. And I know the, uh, Beretta crowd is probably crying right now, but that's okay. It's okay. I'll be back. It's just fine. Um, but what I'm figuring out is, that Beretta covered a multitude of sins. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because I had really put a level of mastery into it and polymer guns were never my thing. And now that yeah. I'm kind of like, I kind of like carrying a polymer gun once in a while. It's yeah. a complete learning curve that I'm going through. And now granted, I didn't start at ground zero, but at the same time, there are quirks and things that I'm, I'm having to iron out. So I spend a lot more time working with that gun now. So, uh, um, uh, I have a dry fire range set up in my office and I secure my live pistol. I take it, I'll put it in a desk drawer, mm-hmm. secure it. And then I take a, you know, a blue gun and I work draws to my dry fire range in my office. And then when I'm done, I go put the blue gun up and then I go get my duty pistol back out and put it back on. Yeah. And you know, that's keeping me in. And I started doing that with, uh, um, that particular gun had a red dot mounted on top of it, mm-hmm. you know, cause I was trying to learn the red dot game. Unfortunately, I broke the red dot off the top of it. So now it's back to being an iron sight gun, um, or a plastic sight gun. Right. But you know, I work that, you know, whenever I, get bored and don't have anything else to do yeah several times a week i spend just a few minutes on that and i stay recent on those skills and keep those motor programs in the top of my brain and if i get confronted you know of course i work behind the razor wire now so uh, it's going to be pretty hard they're going to have to get through a gate and uh into a locked building to get to me these days but uh you know i do have to get back and forth to work yeah and still got to take your family shopping Right. You know, yeah, uh, I, I have a, a place that I stop every morning for breakfast and I stop there and I walk in, I'm in, you know, uniform. I walk in when I walk through that door, I'm there's a chance I'm walking into something. Yeah. Well, I keep those motor programs primed. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> I was, I, I subjected my girlfriend to, uh, s- uh, some Clint Eastwood classic cop movies and, uh, 
we were talking about some different stuff and I said, man, there's a scene in sudden impact where he's reading his newspaper and a robbery is in progress. And the poor clerk there, the waitress <laughs> is pouring sugar in his coffee, you know? And, uh, I went now let's look at how many people go through life just like that. And I thought that was a real, <laughs> it was comical, you know, it was very Hollywood, but at the same time, I'm going, there's a cop that walks in to get his coffee every morning for 10 years and mentions that to the bad guys before the shooting ensues mm-hmm. uh, in this Hollywood set. But I'm like, the people, the guy that people idolize in police work here in the in the eight, 70s and 80s had his head buried so far in the sand, he walks into an, <laughs> stumbles into an armed robbery. I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't want that to be me. I don't want that. Right. That's not, I, you know. I don't want to have to come back and sort business out. I don't want to do that. I just assume see it before it, it went sideways. Uh, but um, I, I stopped at this particular place uh, one morning and I walked in there. We've been waiting for you to get here. I'm like, we have a 911 system you could have called. But, you know, we've been waiting on you to get here. There's a guy and they point out his car and say he's been there at the traffic pump, you know, at the gas pump for 20 minutes. He keeps getting out. He keeps yelling. He keeps whatever. And I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll go, go handle it. And I'll step back out to my, my patrol car, grab my radio, radio it in. And I walk down, I ease up on the car. And obviously he's, he's, he's a little agitated about something. And uh, as I started to speak to him, and I said, sir, are you okay? They, they've asked me to come check on you. And he screams, I'm from New Jersey. And I said, well, <laughs> sir, in Georgia, if you act like you're from New Jersey, they call a deputy sheriff. It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, funny like, how that well, works. He's like, thank you for explaining that to me. Now I know the rules. I'm like, so is everything okay? And the guy didn't calm down and he went on about his business. Yeah. Um, Man. Yeah. <laughs> so a lot of valuable lessons there. Uh travel safety no uh <laughs> well uh i've kept you kept you long enough and i'm sure your uh your kiddo there is ready to download his 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 movie or whatever that right. was so uh you got any parting words here before we uh before we shut it down and hopefully not break the internet too bad this uh on this one well i would i would just say that uh before you get all in sense and you want to start, you know, getting on the keyboard and start pounding out, you know, just definitive thoughts and judgments. Maybe you ought to look at the entirety of what was being said and look at the backgrounds of the people that are saying it and uh, judge that. It's, it's like a five-star athlete. Everybody they come in contact tells them where they should go to college and play ball. The only opinion, they, you know, that really matters is theirs. Mm-hmm. You know, where do they want to go? And so, you know, the only opinions that matter are the ones that you seek. Um, well, yeah, that that was profound. I like that one. The only pin- opinions that matter are the ones you seek. Right. Well, well, I'll leave you with the 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 best piece of radio and podcasting advice I ever got. And I'm not a big Howard Stern fan, but it came from him via someone else that said. Uh, 70% of my audience loves me. The other 30% hates me. The 70% listen for an hour and the 30% listen to the whole show. So if, if you're, if you're challenging somebody's thoughts, you're always, it, people will pay attention. And, uh, yeah. you know, I, I, I was glad that that whole situation unfolded because, uh, or that whole little blurb on the radar there uh, unfolded because it inspired some people to really take a take a pause and look at ooh maybe i maybe i'm not as well rounded as i thought you know or uh, so anyway well i will let you get back after or you know get back after family time there all right thanks lee weems again uh, for coming to the off-duty on-duty podcast that's his second trip through the off-duty on-duty podcast uh guest host guest lineup and uh for those of you that didn't catch it go check out his youtube channel that weems guy or lee weems you'll find the podcast that he and i did together that kind of ruffled some feathers um and you know is what it is but uh 
Thanks for tuning in this week. A reminder, check out our sponsors, Excess Sites at accesssites.com. CCW Safe. Get 10% off your membership with Off-Duty 10. EDC Belt Company at edcbeltco.com. The Guardian Conference is coming up. September, I won't be giving you the Guardian Conference spiel uh, because it'll be on. I'll be teaching there, me and Hanny, and you've heard it before on the shows before. So links in the show notes. And also make sure you sign up weekly for the Concealed Carry Podcast giveaway. The Off-Duty, On-Duty Podcast is a production of Eastridge Training and Consulting, LLC. Eastridge Training and Consulting, LLC presents the following content for educational purposes only. Always take proper precautions, follow all firearm safety rules, consult with a competent firearms instructor, and have trained medical staff on hand when operating live firearms. Legal content, commentary, or explanations do not constitute legal advice. We are not attorneys and recommend always consulting with competent legal counsel when researching or seeking to understand laws and legal application. Eastridge Training and Consulting LLC, its participants, partners, and affiliates are not liable for any action taken based on the content of this shared podcast.